Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Maureen Fleming, Programme Vice President at IDC, about how automation can give organisations a competitive edge. We chat about how businesses are using automation already and how that's changed over the last six months, the challenges and hurdles organisations face when looking to use automation solutions, and what all this means for the workers whose jobs automation is increasingly impacting. Maureen, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Um, I wonder if you could just start by giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Good to join you. Uh, So I'm an analyst at IDC, and I run the research program called Intelligent Process Automation, which looks at a variety of technologies that are used to automate, primarily focused on how people automate tasks and how people automate their business operations. Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit because this word automation or to automate, we're hearing a lot about it. Let's break that down. What is automation and why does it matter? Yeah, so automation is really just a replacement of something done manually with technology. In effect, it either can mimic what was done manually or it can utterly just be a technology advancement. That means that you don't need to do it yourself anymore. An example would be when you think about um, cars. I remember years and years and years ago, I learned how to drive a car using a stick shift. And so I did learn how to pop in the clutch and shift gears. And so that was a big part of driving was actually knowing how to shift the car. And then they invented this automated shifting system. So it it was sort of like an automated drivetrain so that you didn't really need to do the shifting anymore. That's a good example of what automation is, where it's technology applied to the problem to simplify what it is that people are trying to do, sort of take work away from you that you used to have to do before. That's uh, exposing the difference here between the the two places that we live. You're in the US, I'm in the UK, and we all still learn uh, with manual, and most of us drive manual cars here. (laughs) It's so funny. Right now, it's a point of pride in the United States. You know, to give up your stick shift means that you just, you know, turned into a parent or something like that, you know, in some ways. same here. Um, I know that you work on something specific called IA, and we also hear a lot about something called RPA. So what do these two collection of letters translate to, and what's the difference between the two of them? So RPA is robotic process automation, and IA is intelligent automation. And for me, when I look at the platforms that vendors are putting together, they're close to identical, or they originated as being close to identical. So RPA used to be core technology that wasn't enhanced by artificial intelligence. And then some vendors said, hey, wait, we could do some really cool things with AI, and we could then offer that in combination with this sort of basic automation. So let's call the market intelligent automation. And then the vendors that didn't do the artificial intelligence stuff said, hey, wait, wait, we have to compete. And so they started offering it. And so it became sort of consolidated. So then what happens is that now it's even broadened further so that intelligent automation includes things like workflow and um, a grouping includes things like task discovery, which is an AI way to sort of understand what people are actually doing that'll make it easier to automate it. 
And so this portfolio of things that are classified under IA are broadening out. And of course, the RPA vendors who now have IA are also moving to support that as well. So it's a very innovation-centric market right now for this whole task automation segment. So wait, just to confirm, IA is you're almost automating the process of trying to find the opportunities for automation. Is that what I'm hearing here? It's kind of like... (laughs) That's the hot trend right now. So for me, there's this technology out there that you hit a record button and then um, as you press the record button, you can do your task. And then it captures all the information that, you know, every mouse click, anything you do on the application, it will record it. And it'll also map it to where it is on the screen. And then some of them are going directly into a studio environment and will take a first pass at automating it. So for all intents and purposes, when you think about it, the technology used to automate tasks is now being applied to automate development. And so that to me is a really interesting trend. It really is all here about this kind of optimization and finding opportunities to be able to do things better, faster, stronger. But let's kind of rewind the clock back a little bit. When would you say um, it was that automation first began to kind of gain traction and be a solution for businesses to be more competitive and resilient? You know, I take a long view at this and what's hot right now tends to be the whole RPA portfolio. So for task automation, But when you look at it, automation in general, it's been used for a long time to gain competitive advantage. So, you know, looking back to think about the use of a credit card. Right now, we swipe our card or we do contactless credit card payments and um, it's instantly approved. And then what happens is the transaction might go to a banking system for processing. So payment processing has been a huge area of automation for a long time and, and things that are related to super high volume, super high speed use of technology. And so companies invested in it to better compete because they can see ways of speeding up and offering new services. So what's happened, you know, ratchet it forward. Now the current thing that people are really interested in is automating how people work. So when you think about automation as a large topic, it's always been used to drive down costs, speed up cycle times, or competitively get ahead of of everyone. And right now, the stuff that's used to automate tasks is is being used to drive down costs, you know, the cost of operations, as well as speed up cycle times and also reduce mistakes and other things that actually cost money operationally. So let's talk um, some examples, because I think this is one of the things that really brings the power, the opportunity, the possibilities of automation to life is when we can kind of think about some of these real real life examples where organizations are using automation in, in different ways. So I wonder if you could throw some examples out there for us. Sure. The classic example, uh, at least for me, the first time I started looking at this was this idea of claims processing. So if there's a medical claim and you're an insurer and you have to figure out whether to pay it, then you put it through this process that you're trying to automate as much as possible. But there are different places where a person has to be involved to make a decision or to actually input into the system so the system can make the decision. And so we started seeing um, this need to be able to take the repetitive work that was going on in claims processing and automate it. And originally, developers had to work on scripts to do that kind of automation. But when it was automated, it drove down the cost of claims processing and also sped it up. And then what happened was a new set of technologies that came out called RPA. 
And you could use that then to speed up the development of that automation by doing this mimicking piece. So anytime someone was working on a task and it was repetitive and many, many people were working on the same task that was repetitive, they could replace it with a software robot to actually mimic the task and do it on behalf of that person. You know, all these things that are tied to call centers, customer care, um, processing, you know, different types of processing, that's where it really started originating. And now what's happening is that it's being used in any kind of job where you're doing something that really is kind of, um, maybe think about it as a little boring or repetitive. If enough people are doing that, then a lot of development teams that are working to automate that particular task and remove it from something that a person has to do. So things like correcting mistakes, um, an example would be, let's say a customer calls in and says, hey, I've got a problem with something, and then investigate what the problem is. So now the whole process of investigation is also being automated. And the same thing with financial validations and all these different back office things where they're trying to prevent mistakes from happening. So when you look at the technology, it's largely really tied to customer care use cases as well as financial operations. But all of that stuff is changing as the technology advances as well. Microsoft Power Automate is helping organizations digitize paper processes and automate time-consuming manual tasks. By bringing together robotic process automation, digital process automation, and AI together on a single platform, Power Automate serves the entire spectrum of an organization's automation needs. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description. Let's talk a little bit about what's been happening over the last year. Um, you know, we're talking to each other, unfortunately, not in person. Yes. Um, we are all working remotely, most of us at the moment. So thinking about this year in a different way, as a sort of more optimistic way, it's been a huge year for digital transformation um, and the acceleration of an adoption of these technologies, which kind of was a long time coming in, in many ways uh, for many different kinds of businesses. Have you seen, or rather, what kind of changes or shifts um, have you seen in the way organizations are using automation specifically? Has anything surprised you? Well, first off, I just want to say the pandemic surprised me. <laughs> you know, like, so let's just put that out there, right? Everything is a consequence of that. So that was, to me, not surprising. It was utterly shocking. So now everything's been a mechanism of how to cope with that. And um, so from that perspective, what we originally saw was a wave of coping, for example, supply chain and healthcare and banking, you know, all of those started really lighting up around using RPA, for example, just because they needed to handle spikes, because they had to start doing things in a way that they never had to do before in terms of volumes and speed and how they had to operate. On top of that, all their workers were at home. And so they had to figure out how to do some automation that would respond to the speed, um, you know, be able to be fast enough. And also the idea that you can't just hire a whole bunch of people in this environment to do something. So you had to do labor supplementation, which really drove adoption of RPA. And so what ended up happening then is people started looking at it saying, well, where else can we apply it? And so they started building up programs to try to get some of that efficiency smoothed out to make things a little bit more efficient. And now there's more of an effort to, um, there's a big, 
area that's going on right now around labor augmentation, where people working at home are interacting with software robots to smooth out and make it easier to do work. So the augmentation thing tends to be a really interesting trend because of additional technology enablement that's made that possible. One of the things I've been hearing being spoke about with respect to automation at the moment as well is, well, what about getting robots to do things to save humans having to do it in person because they can't go to work and because we can't be in proximity to too many different kinds of people? And I suppose there's this hope and optimism that it's not going to be like this forever, right? So are you seeing this shift in businesses actually, okay, we better try and invest in automation and replace the need for humans because of the health issues? Or does it feel, you know, that's too long term and we'll be back to quote unquote normal before we'd be able to create that technology anyway? Yeah, sub technology takes a long time to adopt and, you know, even figure out what you can use. I think what I'm seeing more of is people saying, look, we don't want to hire contingent labor to solve certain problems because we really don't have that as an option. So what I think what's happening mostly is that this isn't being applied to contingent labor and not staff. That's the first thing. And then secondly, in some cases, I think a lot of organizations were really surprised at how well people took to working at home. So that's the whole thing right now. The cultural thing executives right now are working through is do we really want to have a workforce that's capable of working at home? Because there's studies that show that you're more productive working at home. You get more work done. It's you know financially beneficial to the organization, but do you want to build your culture that way? And so, you know, there's this thing called future of work right now is to figure out where your workforce, how, how to make your workforce for a long term, what's the best place for the workforce to be. But meanwhile, when you look at it tactically, like what's happening right now, anything that they can use automation to do to smooth out how work is done, that's where it's being applied right now, because it doesn't have this like deep cultural overtone to it. Um, it's just more tactical. Let's just make this work better. You know, and then when you think about the strategic aspects of it, that's still in play. And the tactical aspects of let's just make this better is kind of a major consideration. I suppose it is that long term versus short term thinking as well. And, you know, automation can be used in so many different ways. It would be great if you could map for us just the benefits of automation. It sounds like an obvious question, but what are the main reasons why businesses should be looking to automation if they're not already? You know, what are the benefits that it enables? Clearly the top benefit and all the research I've done on this is improving worker productivity. So when you look at what what it means to improve worker productivity, on the one hand, what you're doing is you're giving them time back in a day. And so they can choose to use that with going home on time rather than working overtime, or they can um, do other things with their time. So that's when you think about staff costs, for example, then improving productivity gives some additional options. The other piece is that when you look at areas in a business that have large numbers of workers doing the same type of work, then the benefits to the corporation become that they improve productivity by reducing the number of full-time employees they need to do the work. So it's driving benefits on the profit side by doing the same thing with fewer people. Other benefits that also are really important are speeding up cycle times. It becomes a competitive advantage. And so as businesses work faster and faster and faster as a way to show advantage, then that's one of the benefits of applying a software robot 
because they can work all the time. They don't have vacations. They don't have holidays. They don't have to sleep at night. And so being able to run seven by 24 by 365 is viable, you know, when you've got this sort of hybrid workforce at work with the software robots picking up the slack. The other piece is reducing cost of mistakes. Um, when you have to do things like type in something, do data entry, that will always generate mistakes. So if you could replace that with the stuff that we're calling intelligent document processing, where you're using AI and RPA to uh, take something unstructured, and instead of having someone manual rekey it, you just automate doing that. You're reducing the number of mistakes that are made by manual rekeying. So the benefits really are directly tied to the job that you're trying to augment or replace, you know, the, the particular task or, or job that you're trying to um, replace. In other words, it's all over the place. You're researching this, right? And you're obviously talking to people, advising people, doing kind of thought leadership in this space. How do you, I guess, tackle the discussion around balancing the benefit of cost saving and, you know, through sort of this productivity thing with the, well, if you have extra productivity and you don't want to pay for labor, you are going to lay people off. So how do you weave in, I guess, thinking about what it is that a business is really valuing <laughs> when it comes to um, automation? Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting, especially over the past year, is that what businesses are finding is that there are fewer, you know, entirely replaceable tasks that workers do. It's really interesting when you talk to clients and they're saying they need to sort of expand their programs to really focus more on the augmentation side because they only get so far on the automation side. And so what's happening right now when you start looking at it is that businesses have these euphoric expectations about this issue of labor output, labor productivity. And what's happening now is that it's being refined more to a more pragmatic point of view, which is where we want to focus on cycle times. We want to retain our employees because actually we want to take away really drudgery, you know, things that are really horrible to have to do on a repetitive basis because we want to have them happy working here. And this augmentation piece of it is really critical. And the other thing that I, I have more calls about is how do we build a program so that our workers can self-automate, they can improve their own job. And so that right now is, I think, a little bit where that market is centered um, is how can I do my own automation? How can we make this simple enough so that I can improve my own productivity? I think we got, a, a, you know, this sort of layoff mentality. You know, people new to RPA, that's low-hanging fruit. That's what they're going to focus on. But once you are into the program 18 months in, you're starting to rethink about augmentation and productivity and satisfaction, those sorts of topics. So we've talked a little bit about augmentation of skills and specifically this kind of desire of workers to be able to automate their own tasks, you know, see things that they don't like doing and going, okay, let me see if I can find a way around this. What enables this ability for workers to be able to do it themselves, you know, particularly if they're not really tech savvy? You know, what are the drivers of that, of that trend, shall we say? So the, the trend is actually more complicated because when you use the software, you have to think almost like a programmer sometimes. And so workers in general who are not programmers shouldn't have to think like programmers. So there's a lot of training that you have to go through and help 
that you need from people who actually know how to do this. But the reason that they start thinking about this would be, one is that some of them are thinking, oh, if I become good at this, I'm upskilling myself. And that means that I can go into the labor market and get a better job. And in other cases, a team might be working on something that's really tedious, where you sometimes feel like crying when you're at work. And so if you can assign someone who's interested in learning how to do this on behalf of the team, then what happens is something that's really horribly tedious goes away because you figured out how to automate parts of it or all of it. What happens is that there's a lot of work going on in business where people have asked IT to solve the problem. And so they've said, look, can you do a project to sort of do this for us by building an application for us? And so then the developers put it into a queue and then they rate what's in their queue to what sort of adds the most value to the business overall. And so often what they'll do is they'll come back and say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do it. Uh, we don't have the resources to do that. And what ends up happening with RPA now is that when the team says, can we just build an app? Then what happens is that the developers say, no, we can't do it. What they'll do is say, look, we can do this with RPA, but you're going to have to take charge. You're going to have to take the lead on it. We'll help you with training and we'll give you some mentorship and review the work, but you're going to have to take the lead. And what happens is the team that decides that the exchange is fair, that they can actually take this into their own hands and get it done. And, um, and they're happy with the fact that rather than being told no, they're given a way to be able to do this. And that's important inside the organization that that shift is taking place because IT all too often is the people who say no to everything and which creates resentment. And now what happens, it gives the power back to the business to make decisions about the automation they think is important. Are there some industries where automation kind of, you know, makes more sense or they're perhaps more ready for automation? Or is it something that, you know, you believe can be any industry, any task? When you look at the adoption so far, it's been pretty horizontal. And by horizontal, I mean that when you work for a business, everyone's going to have sales, unless you're government, of course, but everyone's going to have marketing. They'll have some kind of way to offer services to customers that they have financial operations and, you know, all these things that sort of happen in business are consistent. And so when you look at RPA, then you can apply this consistently across all industries. And so when you think about customer care, that's everywhere. And when you think about finance, that's everywhere. And those are the two places most organizations start in. Those have always been things where they focused on using automation to supplement or replace labor. It's just by culture, they really focus on that. And they have large manual workforces. So they see the opportunity there. Manufacturing is now starting to adopt. Um, healthcare, which wasn't a big industry for RPA, is now starting to adopt for obvious reasons tied to trying to provide care. Now that they've learned how to deal with spikes, they can start broadening it out and adopting it across the workforce. Um, candidates that might not be so great would be things that are very knowledge intensive. And so if you think about the legal office or law firms, on the one hand, a lot of the core job itself doesn't lend itself to task automation. Although there's a lot of AI work going on there to try to um, speed up things that are done manually. So even though the knowledge-centric industries are not great candidates for replacing workers with automation, 
they are really strong candidates right now for more complex AI-centric types of augmentation. In general, most industries have some kind of initiative in place that ties to automation. It's just the technique that they use for it differs based on you know, what that particular unit does or that company does. So what should businesses know when they're considering leveraging automation? Um, you know, what are the, the challenges or the hurdles that they might face and how can they overcome them or at least prepare in advance before they start thinking about automation? First off, a lot of the programs start top down. The CEO or someone in the senior team hears about it and they say, okay, let's build a program or let's think about this. Can we apply it? So they have a team and they do some experimental efforts to see what kinds of results they get. And the other thing that happens is that leadership starts hearing about, oh, it's low-code software. So that means workers can build their own. So they have these amazing expectations of this technology. You know, they run some experiments, they get fantastic results. Then they build a program office around that, or they try to build a core competency into the organization. And at that point, that's when the real work starts. And so from that perspective, you know, you have to figure out how to make the program repeatable. And so people struggle with how to build a business case for it as they get off of those super easy use cases that everyone does and gets good results in. What sort of performance metrics do they want to keep track of? What sorts of policies do we have to have in place to make sure that um, end users can build their own automation and then that, that, of course, shifts to, oh, wait, they're not. So what kind of help can we give them to how can we mentor them to help them do this? And then on top of it, they're also looking at ever increasing number of candidates for doing automation. So they're working on how to skill up, how to make things reusable, how to make the robots work really well. So there's a whole series of problems along this journey to become really skilled at task automation or this particular type of worker automation. Thinking about this idea of kind of long-term versus short-term thinking, why is it one or the other or both, you know? Is it dependent on what kind of task you're thinking of doing or, you know, should businesses make sure they've got strategies for both all the time? Or, you know, how do you kind of think about these two different kinds of thinking and these two different kinds of focus? Okay. So long-term thinking is about having a strategy about automation that understands the nuances of automation and knowing how to apply it to the specific problem at hand. And so that fits into the strategic area of planning and figuring out how to become good at this broader sense of automation. And tactical is where you actually have the problem where you're saying, oh, our performance is really subpar and we need to work on improving it. Or we have all these workers working at home right now, and we still need to run our business. So there are emergencies and poor performance or competitors coming in that you need to respond to that become tactical very quickly. And so from that perspective, companies that take the long term on thinking about being good at automation are much better able to respond tactically to emergencies and special situations But sometimes responding to the emergency is the reason why you adopt. And then you have to overall start thinking about what your larger strategy is going to be. Take a step further. A business that's intrigued by automation is listening to this and going, yep, I'm sold. The potential looks great. I'm going to, you know, think about this and do it properly. 
what do they need to do first? Walk us through the process that they can take to evaluate and define if automation is right for them. And if so, what they need to do to start adopting it and using it. Yeah, the first thing everyone starts with is, you know, some people call it their experiments on it. Other people call it a proof of concept. So the first thing they do is figure out what sort of technology they want to use or or just grab some piece of technology tactically and see what's involved with that. You know, assign a team to actually skill up in that, do the evaluation, which typically includes both technology people and business people. They work together on this topic. And so once they run a couple of initial projects, then they start saying, oh, wait, yeah, this is interesting. And then they have to really start building out that program. And so at that point, they're much more serious about technology selection, you know, trying to find a core platform and then additional elements that they're going to need to actually make this whole thing repeatable across the organization. And how would you, I guess, advise these companies? Because I think for people that maybe haven't touched it at all before, even the idea of running an experiment, even if you have a couple of tech people, a couple of business people that are kind of interested, it's like, okay, well, where do I even start? Do I work with a partner in this? Do I, you know, download something and do it myself? Like what kind of scale can you run an experiment on and how would you advise people do it? There's this whole idea of grassroots up and then top down, executive down. And I would say that this technology, even though there's a lot of grassroots things that you can do with it, it really started really gaining ground almost from a top-down basis. It was something that, you know, people started hearing about and then bringing it in. And by people, I mean the executive team, which is really unusual for technology adoption. Then what happens is that some people will hire a partner, you know, to help them figure out more about this. Others will just move it over into a business unit that's experiencing the problems and say, look, this is a way that you might want to consider getting your numbers in line or performance in line, they either will reach out to IT or they will work themselves on this. And so it happens in different ways. In other cases, you can use these community versions of the software and build it yourself. Like for me, I spent several months on all the different products building bots to actually figure out what this stuff is. And it's amazingly available to do that with. And so you can have grassroots efforts as well. So if you're listening to this and you have a job that parts of it are really just getting on your nerves, then look for RPA community versions and try it yourself. And from a top-down basis, they have their culture and standards for how they get started investing in new technology. They also flip it to the digital transformation team. And those teams are really good at running experiments and doing projects. So that's what they're skilled at right now. So for my final question, let's do a little bit of looking forward. What do you think is coming next? What are you most excited about for the future of automation? Yeah, what I'm most excited about is this concept called a robot assistant. So what I want is a robot working with me to figure out what things I need to do. Like we all get tons of things in emails saying you have to do this. Other people are getting things in um, Slack. And all of these are really tasks that need to get done. I want my robot assistant to collect all that stuff for me, tell me what I need to do next, automate everything that's boring for me to do, and help me be able to do my job in a way that allows me to think and write the things that analysts are good at without having to do all the drudgery, like file my expense reports and things that I'm not good at. So thinking about this robot assistant is really interesting because every single person who works can use a robot assistant. 
And so I think that uh, we're finally seeing technology shape up enough where I can see within the next 18 months to two years that gradually over time, we're going to have fully realized assistance. And that is exciting to me. It's just exciting for a purely selfish reason about how would I use it? Because I can't wait. A little, a little sneaky add-on then. What do you think the role of the personal assistant would be? Because that is a job, you know, that is a thing that lots of people do. And I know, you know, I, I actually spoke at a conference for virtual assistants, real people, but they do it virtually. And, uh, and they're very worried about these robot assistants you're speaking of. I would say that, um, you know, back in the 1950s, it might be that a lot of people had a personal assistant at work. They tended to be white men, but so what? And But that all went away. And now what we do is self-service. You know, we have to do everything by ourselves. And then we get some coordinator or we get some assistance on things that are just too mind-boggling to tackle ourselves. But hardly anyone has that. And that's what I found in my surveys. So this issue of replacing a personal assistant, they don't have to worry for a few years. And even that, they probably don't have to worry because there's personal assistance will increasingly be very much knowledge focused, like the kinds of decisions and things like that, that require discretion that a robot is not going to be capable of doing. But at the same time, everyone else who's stuck doing all these things themselves, the assistant is going to be something that you actually are pretty intimate with, you know, this sort of robot assistant. So, and I think that's a good thing, personally. I don't think many people are going to lose out by having a reliance on their robot assistant. Awesome, Maureen. Thank you so much for sharing so many insights, so many examples, and for giving all of the listeners a little bit of an insight into the wonderful world of automation. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Maureen's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. Don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Power Automate is helping organizations digitize paper processes and automate time-consuming manual tasks without writing a single line of code. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description.